Welcome to Raising Connections. I'm your host, Rayshan Mayer. This is the program where we talk about our critters, companions, commerce, and agriculture, and all of the connections between them. This morning, I have a fun and interesting guest with me, Elizabeth Tate. Welcome, Elizabeth. You have a really interesting future and past here in the Mount Airy, Frederick, Maryland area. What is the name of your business? I have two, Paradise Stables and Common Ground, Inc. This is a second career for you, if not a third career for you. What is your first career? I have a master's degree in pastoral counseling, clinical psychology. And then my dad asked me to join him in several businesses. And so I worked in the government contracting world for a bunch of years. And then after that, we sold and it afforded me the ability to build a barn that I wanted for myself. Somehow I wanted to figure out how to marry my background in pastoral counseling and horses. With pastoral counseling, does that you're a preacher? No. Okay. <laughs> I know in some faiths that you have to have an education and a master's or a doctorate in order to shepherd groups. And in other faiths, you just need to be the leader of the group. But what is pastoral counseling? It's a therapist. So I went to Loyola and I chose Loyola of all the degrees programs because of my personal faith. So what was your undergraduate degree? Visual communication arts from Hood. So you go from high school into visual arts. And to me, that means marketing. Yes. And what we're doing and telecommunications and print media and that sort of thing. And then the pastoral counseling came along, that master's came along as you were a more mature individual. I suffered a back injury at the age of 24 and it was debilitating. And I had to kind of figure out what my next steps were. What I ultimately wanted to do was to help other people through trauma, which I had experienced myself. So I found Loyola as a program for me because it just resonated with my soul, honestly. Having something that resonates with your soul. As a listener, if you haven't had that experience, it will come somewhere in your life. <laughs> yeah. It's world shaking. And it's happened to me a few times. And it happened to me with Common Ground most recently. So we've got to go to common ground because that's the reason that we're here. But I want to lay some groundwork for this common ground before we get there. You built the barn and you didn't build the barn for a boarding stable. And what I love about your ads is there's a no drama barn. 100%. Drama in barns is a thing. Is there a person or an ideal client that you see in your barn? Are you doing writing lessons? We think we know, but what is paradise? <laughs> well, in the beginning, when I built this arena for myself, I had no idea anything about the horse industry. I owned horses. I took lessons as a young person. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And when you say you took lessons as a young person, what kind of lessons? Because horse lessons aren't a thing. Are they a thing? Well, I don't know. Where I grew up in Ashton, there was Joan Bosman's, who's still in the horse world. She had a small backyard barn and I would take my $5 allowance and I would walk my little mile to her farm and I would take English riding lessons once a week. So the horse lessons are English riding lessons. Yes, that's what they were then. So when I decided I wanted to build this arena and a friend of mine said, well, if you do that, then maybe you should put in stalls and it'll help for the cost of the facility. I didn't know. And I said, OK, and I agreed to it. And then I, I built this amazing facility. And I have always been a person that says, hire what you don't know. Absolutely. And so as a result of my back surgeries, I started riding gated horses and that became my niche. And how does that work? Because the largest growing segment of horseback riders are women over 50. Yes. So in the beginning, when I started all of this and I started marketing gated horses, that we had them and come try them. I had gotten with uh, Tommy Smith, who's a local horseman, and Judy Smith, his wife, and some other folks, and we 
just let the world know what a gated horse was because back then this was dressage hunter jumper area. There was not very many gated horses. And back then was 2000-ish. 2006, I built the barn. 2007, I opened. Can you explain to our listeners the difference between a horse and a gated horse? Because all horses have gates. Gates mean you're moving in a rhythm. So I consider them trotting horses versus gated horses. That's how I describe them in my own mind to other people. And I have worked with a number of vets who back in the day had no idea. They thought every gated horse was lame because of the way they walked. The single-footed things. Yes, exactly. A trotting horse moves laterally. They move on the vertical. So that when the front right moves, the hind left moves. For me, a gated horse hula dances. They do a waltz. They do a three-step. They do one, two, three, one, two, three. And they make this pretty little V with their front right and their back left. That makes this pretty little gait. And it looks like they float as they go. But a trot horse goes and one and two and three and four. And they make this posting movement or you learn to sit the trot if you're doing Western. Their feet don't hula dance or foxtrot or waltz. The gated horses, when you sit on them, you're not posting and your back's not getting that jarring sensation. But because of my own injury, that's why I chose to promote gated horses because they really helped me. It also appealed to an older clientele. And so that would be my preference. Now, at the time when I started Paradise, I had a young daughter. So, of course, I said, oh, we need a 4-H program. And then I said, okay, well, I want to breed. I want to do all the things. I I think that's true of anybody who's starting off in business. Yes. And you didn't start off as business. This was your personal barn. Yes. It became your business. At what point did you go yes to the business? Or did it just kind of slide its way in? Yeah, it kind of slid its way in. I can't say that there's a specific moment where I said, oh, I want to, well, I take that back. I used a high-end barn builder, B&D, because I like their structure. I like their building model. And they were really helpful. And they sent me to a barn close by. And that happened to be Crystal Thimble Pickett. And Crystal kind of had a lot of influence, kind of, not kind of, she did. She had a lot of influence on, so what are you going to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want? Like all the questions that I didn't have any answers for. So she helped me kind of figure out where I fit in this horse industry. And you already had the business background. I did. You have the psychology background. You have the license background. You run businesses. You run contracting. So it made sense. Yeah, the business side made sense. But the equine side of it, I didn't have knowledge. Again, I hired what I didn't know. And Crystal introduced me to a lot of people. My daughter took lessons with Debbie McCutcheon. Debbie McCutcheon introduced me to a lot of people. And really, the horse industry is about networking. She introduced me to the Horse Council. And I met a whole lot of people at the Horse Council. And I learned a lot about the horse industry. And then in having borders, I learned a lot about what I didn't want. And then you served on the Horse Council board. I did. And that really allowed a lot of networking, even more so than just through the people you already knew. It did. And and then I got asked to speak at Expo each year to talk pitfalls and the things you don't know. And it took a number of years, but I finally figured out what I wanted our barn to be about. Our farm is named Paradise for a reason because it is a place of tranquility. It is a beautiful respite. When you come there, your blood pressure, horses and humans automatically comes down. Absolutely. It is an amazing place. I had to figure out how to keep it that way, hence the no drama. So I love the no drama. I actually came as a, can you give me lessons? I know horses from the Midwest. I know what to do with them, but I didn't know there were any here. And it was an adult barn because many of the barns that I had been to, they wanted to put me on tall legs dressage horses or very beautiful jumping horses. And I'm thinking, I'm going around it. I'm not going over it. 
So it was something very unique and you really had to teach the market what a gated horse was. I did. Was that a pitfall? No, actually it was what lifted me up in the industry because I was willing to be different. And even though I was kind of looked down at by a number of folks in the industry, which I feel like that's less common now than it was back then. But on the other side of that, I learned a lot. I met a lot of amazing people and I got to educate folks that didn't know. Because you were willing to go out there and go, you know what? I did this because I wanted to do this. And I want to share my passion with everybody, but I'm finding out I don't want to really do children. I want to do kids who are adultish in their mind or adults who are not so hardcore. They don't want to learn anymore. At the same time, that time frame between 2005 and 2015, gated horses in the area where gated horses are big, Kentucky, Tennessee, had some real issues in the industry. Did you ever, by being in Maryland, run into the soaring issue? Not directly, no. Okay. However, I took some of my equine babies down to a trainer in Tennessee, and he's a great guy. He's anti-soaring guy. He'd never worked with Rocky Mountain horses before, which is what I was breeding. He was excited for the change because he unfortunately said to me, I know where these horses that I'm training are going. And he said, it's very difficult for me to do that, but I have to make a living. And he said, it's nice to have an alternative. Two things happened while I was down there. The first thing that happened was he had a very enormous black Tennessee walker. We walked by and it was dark in the stall. And here's this amazingly beautiful, he must have been a stallion at some point because he had all kinds of hair everywhere. He was just gorgeous. And he was head to the wall, wouldn't look at us, scared to death, shaking as we walked by. And I said, what's the story on this horse? And he said, well, he had been beat about the head. He had been soared. He had been extremely mistreated and they rescued him and he would only let his daughter feed him. No one else was allowed to get around him. I stood there for a moment and kind of absorbed it all. And so I just wanted to kind of feel for him, see if he'd give me an eye or a look or something, some connection. And eventually he did look at me without the white circle showing, you know, I mean, I could actually catch his eye and then I let it go. But then we went to a tax store and I was looking for kick chains, which are these leather straps that you put around a horse's leg that have chains that if they were to kick a door, it would not hurt them, but it would smack them a bit so that they would quit. It was like in a resistance kind of situation. So I asked for that, but I think I asked for it inappropriately because what they showed me in the back room was not what I was asking for. And I was shocked at what I saw. And I tried not to appear shocked at what I saw because I didn't want them to run me out because I kind of wanted to get a visual of all the things that were hanging around. To me, it looked like a torture chamber because there was lots of ugly things. Fast forward a number of years and asked me to go to a dinner party. And there was the senator from, I think it was Tennessee, who was there. I don't remember his name and his wife. And she wanted me to tell that story. And I did because the bill was just before Congress about it. And so I told him the story. The wife listened intently and the wife had something to do with ASPCA or Humane Society or somebody, I forget. I mean, I'm more for like... Yeah, but my story really affected him and he literally got up and walked out. It was too much for him. He did come back and apologize. I said, it's a very emotional issue. It's wrong. It's inhumane. And I appreciate you listening to me about it. So that's my limited exposure, but I've not had personal contact with horses who've been soared or beat about. So when we come back, let's put this together. 
Join me, Rayshan Mayer, from Mariah Bellmatter Kennel, for our new adventure, Living Life Tales Up podcast, combining everyday life with what goes on at the kennel and farm, a bit of humor, some ideas, and some positive happy bubbles. We're living tales up, nose down, and staying on track. We hope to see you on Living Life Tales Up for five to ten minutes worth of happy, happy bubbles shooting out there in the atmosphere. See you soon. Welcome back to Raising Connections. We've been talking about how your degree in visual arts, how your degree in pastoral counseling was brought about because of a back injury in your early 20s, resulting in a lot of surgery and alternative methods for healing. You were in your early 20s and you're now post 50, but not post 60. You're in those golden years that are really the prime in our environment. 50 is the prime of your life. It's the time where you can take your past and your future and put it together and make something really unique. What are you choosing to create? I'm choosing to create common ground with paradise. So common ground in paradise, that is the best of the military, the best of the healing of the services, the best of the horses, the barn, the boarding, all of the things that you picked up from surrounding yourself with folks that knew the industry, having those conversations in different places, being in environments where you could learn and grow, which is really hard to do when you're not in the middle of an environment that allows you to learn and grow. And many careers, you get to a point in your middle of your life and you go, that's crud. What am I going to do? So the horses allowed you to get out and meet, greet and see and hear and go places that you normally wouldn't have gone to if you stayed with your English saddle lesson. You learned the drama of the women in the barn. You learned why that drama was coming out and you found ways to perhaps corral and fix some of that drama. Did all of those experiences come into play when you were sitting there with Joe and figuring out what's next, all of this life experience. How did you put it together to form Common Ground? Well, as someone who has suffered trauma myself and been through therapy myself and also being a therapist, and having horses heal me, that's a gift that needed to be shared. And I didn't really know exactly in the beginning how it needed to be shared, but it's turned out to be pretty amazing. So once COVID happened, because COVID changed the scope of the world, but it also changed the scope of Common Ground. We've been doing Common Ground work since 2017 pretty consistently. But when COVID happened, I had to figure out a new way. And so I developed a program called This is a Horse. And This is a Horse is really the cornerstone the keystone of what Common Ground is about. It's about building a relationship. It's not about activities. It's not about people sitting around with helmets on watching other people do things. It's not that. This is a hands-on, feel the hair, smell the smell, meet a horse, build a relationship, and hug them in the end. In the beginning, we talked about horse lessons. These are horse lessons. Yes, it's exactly what it is. I spent a lot of time during, obviously we had a lot of time during COVID, right? So I spent a lot of time developing my own relationships with my own horses, with clients' horses, all this time of building relationships. And I thought, this is it. People can come out and do this in a mask. They can come out and do this and we can be six feet or 12 or whatever apart in my arena. It won't matter. We started inviting groups in and then I met Jamie Eaton through Living Through Loss. We just started opening our doors and inviting groups of people, inviting individuals to come in and be with a horse. When that sort 
sort of established this is a horse. Then I became an HDC. HDC? Horse Discovery Center through the middle. There we go. Yeah, through the Horse Industry Board. That's a big deal. Can you tell our listeners what that is? Sure. Being a Horse Discovery Center, last I checked, there was 35 or so, I believe, in Maryland. There are boarding facilities or there are equine-related businesses that offer the public an opportunity to come in and be around a horse. And it could be one person a year with one horse. It could be 500. It doesn't matter. But there is a certain standard that's required to be an HDC, and you have to meet that criteria in order to get the designation. And this is a way for somebody who's never been around a horse or might be scared of doing this to come up and say, this is what they feel like. Oftentimes, people will see horses at fairs or pony rides or something. This is a little more one-on-ones. So we've gone to elementary schools on career day, where one of my clients asked me to do that. She's a school teacher, and we did that. It's a hands-on, feel, touch, smell, tactile experience that we can give, and we should because we can, so we do. So that sort of became the cornerstone of our new Common Ground program. In 2021, I was re-diagnosed with breast cancer and I was sitting, getting ready to have my double mastectomy that January, being a pastoral counselor, I'm praying about it, saying, what am I to do? And so I used my fear and my energies on deciding that I was going to make Common Ground a 501c3 finally. Wow, that's a big step. It was a big step and not a step I had really wanted to take because of all the things that are involved in having that and maintaining it. That takes it from a business per se to a nonprofit. Right. So I never charged for my services for Common Ground. I have been personally funding the Common Ground experience now for all these years. And my financial advisors said, enough, it's time for you to make something of it and get donations to support what you're doing. And you can. A lot of nonprofits have grants and they have money they need to spend. And so you need to figure this out. I think that's a really important thing. And I appreciate you being open enough to say it because so many people, whether you see it in dog rescue or animal rescue or collecting clothing or whatever service that rests on someone's soul or mind, they go out there and they start doing these things and they click between business and nonprofit. And do I fund this myself? And how much can I fund myself? And when you have to say this is nonprofit makes a transition point. Did it make it more meaningful to you when you did that instead of being your project to take it to a nonprofit? profit status, does that make a difference for you in your mind? It made it real. I believe that. It gave it a meaningful It's name. out there now. It's a real thing. And we're, we're really going to make a go of it. And let me tell you who helped me through that. That was Christine Hijack from Gentle Giants. I went to Christine. She's a very generous person with her time and her knowledge. And she really helped me work through pros and cons. She came to my farm and sat with my partner in this, Angelica Driscoll. And she explained A to Z on what we had to do. She was so generous with her time and energy. Because of that conversation, I felt like, okay, we can do it. But it took that conversation and that relationship with Christine and her confidence in what we're doing to say, yeah, you you can do it. You're doing it. So we did it. Yeah. So we got our status last spring. What team have you put in place? Because one person cannot do this. Who's running this? Who are your boots on the ground? Because you have to have therapists to help with this. You have to have people there. You have to have care for the horses. What's your team look like? Oh, I have such an amazing team. I'm clearly the driving force. My business background has come in handy yet again. Education's never wasted. And I truly believe that there is processes and procedures. So after my last surgery in July of 2022, I was in a low spot. I was not in a good 
good place. And that was a breast cancer. Surgery. Yeah, right. I had three reconstructive surgeries after my double mastectomy. I looked again at PATH and I looked again at a gala and I went, that's not what we do. So I searched and I searched and I searched because I knew, you know, you, you have to have a certificate that says you know what you're doing, especially in the horse industry because there's degrees in it. But I mean, let's be honest, degrees have their value, but really it's boots on the ground. Time in the saddle, as they say. I found a program in Calgary, Canada through the Equine Assisted Learning Academy. I said, this is it. Called them and I said, I need to do this. I need to do this for me. No matter what it turns out to be for somebody else, I got to do this for me because I got to get my own head on straight. So I traveled to Calgary. I spent 10 days learning from them. And boy, did I have aha moments that, oh, I, bet. that I didn't even know that I needed to have, right? Changing. You don't know to get in there. And I really needed what I got up there. And I didn't even know I needed the healing. And it was amazing. And then I took five days on the end of that trip. And I just traveled around by myself. I hadn't done that in 18 years. Travel around by myself, go to Banff and Jasper and these beautiful, amazing places. And I came home and I was fresh and renewed. And so then we, I contacted Helping Up Mission out of Baltimore and I asked them if we could test bed with them. And they said, yes. So my team, back to your question, my team is Joe London and Angelica Drisk. She's got a tremendous legal background and a heart as big as gold. And so she sits right on my right hand. And then my husband, Wayne, who sits on my left hand. And then I have a plethora of my boarders who love to volunteer and be a part of what we're doing. So we test bedded all that fall and fine-tuned. And then we would have small group after and decide, okay, does this work? Does that work? Which is better? What I learned from Canada, what we were doing before, how do we bring the two together? How do we marry the two thought processes of a more structured environment, which is what I learned in Canada, versus a feel environment, which is what we had identified here as what really works for common ground. And we did. We found the balance and we found the common ground of both programs. And the pictures, when we go to commonground.com, Paradise Stables and go to the Common Ground site, the pictures that you see on there, it is folks coming to Common Ground in order to have breakthroughs. These ways that they're making breakthroughs to go back into their therapy sessions to go further than they would have gotten before. Literally, Rayshan, we are changing lives every day, whether it be families or individual folks that I work with, therapists who bring their clients to us for healing, and we need support. By being a non Profit. What does the nonprofit common ground need to be successful? We need donations. We need to be able to have donations to support the horse costs to continue this program. Because insurance for therapy does not cover equine assisted therapy. It does not. And that's why the need for the nonprofit. We are doing work every day that is amazing. And we are helping people every day heal. And in order to continue to do that, we have to have funding. If we want to participate, if we want to come to see the Discovery Center and Touch a horse. We've talked about so much today. We've talked about common ground, paradise boarding stables, drama, changing careers, a little bit of prayer, a whole lot of faith. <laughs> you have been around so many people and you've openly said, when I don't know it, I hire the people who know it. When those people come to work for you and you learn what they know and you encourage them to learn more so you get stronger together. Absolutely. You're only as good as the people around you. Where does the donation money for common ground go? How's it used? The model for common ground is this. We have nonprofit organizations that come that pay little to nothing. And then we have corporate people that come and they pay commercial rates for skill building and facilitated learning. And so they subsidize 
the cost for the horse care. It's not always enough. And so we need donations to support the horse care, to support the program for the people who can't afford it. So if I have an executive team that I want to team build, we could come to Common Ground. Absolutely. And we have a great time. Awesome. And that actually is a donation so we can support the other activities for Common Ground. So corporate people can come and they can learn and skill build where they can learn to communicate and learn how to work better together as a team. And then we have the nonprofit groups that come that either don't have funding or can't afford to come. I never turn anyone away. So donations go directly to horse care. We don't have staff. There's no other costs directly to horse care. Where do we find you? Where do we find Paradise Tables? And where do we find Common Ground? Common Ground can be found at commongroundps.org. Everything you need to know is there. You can donate there. You can look at all of our programs and opportunities and see the cool things that we're doing. At Paradise, we're at paradisestables.com. There's also a Common Ground page there as well. And if we have gated horse questions, we can come to you as well. You can. 